for another episode of Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. I am your host, Lauren Morris. This week, we have Rachel Ben-Hamo. I am super excited about this. First and foremost, when Rachel and I started talking, she was like, well, you, I work at this uh, a video game company, but you probably don't know what it. it's Riot Games. And I was like, wait a minute. Hello from Summoner Bonus 414. So for any of you listeners out there who also do League of Legends, Please look me up, add me as a friend. Rachel is a British improviser, which made our conversation even that much more enjoyable because I could just sit and listen all day. She's a trainer, facilitator, and agile enthusiast. She has a blast using applied improv techniques to a supercharged organizations like Riot Games who want to harness the deep and enduring value of play. She loves to tweet and blog about creativity, collaboration, improv principles, and emotional intelligence. Rachel's living my dream of teaching improv at a video game company. I don't know what else I can say, but she's got so much more to say. She really works in the applied area. She has a lot of great tips and tricks, and she has even more things coming out that I have attached to the bio of this. So please check out her website for that. For now, sit back, relax, and listen to today's episode. Uh, we'll see how video games and improv collides, if it collides at all. Uh, tell me about um, how you came into teaching improv. So the the main thing was I I had studied coaching um, at post grad level, and I was really fascinated by that. And so I already had this this background, I guess, in coaching, which. Um, which I turned into a business and I'd started doing coaching with individuals and sort of startups and um, small businesses. Um, and prior to that, I had studied acting and some improv. And uh, I had this period of time where I was really sick and took some time off work and, and just tried to, you know, heal my body and heal myself emotionally. And it was at that point where I thought, oh, it'd be cool to get back into some improv and some acting because it was just really fun. And so that was the lens by which I kind of engaged with it again. And I found this group uh, in my hometown of Brighton in the UK uh, called The Maydays. Um, And they were just like a really nice bunch of people, really cool, really smart and talented. Um, And they had these uh, classes that they run as well as their shows. And so I went along and um, did some of the classes and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember how much I really enjoyed this, you know. Um, And it had been such a long time. And, you know, being sort of a a student when I was younger, I didn't have as much confidence as I had, you know, when I sort of returned to this in my 20s. And so it was really nice to kind of come at it, but with a new level of confidence um, and, uh, so, so I did that and then I started to realize that there were all these ways that improv was helping me with my self-confidence and, um, sort of professional skills, communication and how I was just relating to other people. And it was that, that I realized could be combined really well with the coaching and the training work that I was, I was already doing. So I I really started by, um, just incorporating those two things. So I wouldn't say at that point I was teaching improv. I was just incorporating principles into the other work that I was doing. And then over time, more and more people were like, Oh, I, you know, I really want to know more about this improv thing and how that works. And, um, so I started doing that with businesses and that became actually like, 
the more the focus uh, because it was, I guess, a niche area. Um, and so, yeah, so I started doing it with all these different businesses, charities and banks and um, I did it with a school and I did it on a yoga holiday up a mountain in France. <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds nice. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> it was. It was an inspiring place to do. Yeah. So uh, were there some core philosophies and concepts in improv that you were just like, oh, that is so great for the people that I am working with um, and, and sort of like latching it on? Um, because it's sometimes hard to get corporate people to buy into that. Um, so, uh, I'm not even sure that's a two part question there. It's probably a two part question. It's like, what were some of the core principles and then the buy-in? So we can look at the buy-in in a little while if we want to. Okay. Um, so yeah, if I think about like my sort of personal philosophy and, you know, what inspires me, the, the main things are inclusivity. So, um, I feel like improv has this amazing way of just providing opportunities for anyone of any experience level to get involved. And that's something that's really important to me um, because I've worked with people who have no idea what it is, feel that they have no skills that they can bring to it um, and maybe don't even want to do it Um, all the way up to people who are like, yeah, I want to perform, you know, at UCB in second city. And that's my, you know, that's my dream, my goal. And what I love is that you can take any game and really kind of play with it and meld it into something that anybody can uh, take a stab at. And I love when people are surprised (laughs) when they're like, I can't do improv. I don't know how to do that. Like, it's too scary. And then, you know, you ask them to pass a clap around a circle and they do it. And they're like, oh, okay, I can do that. Um, You know, and then you just kind of build like 1% at a time. And um, that's really satisfying. So, yeah, inclusivity. Um, My other sort of, I guess, principles are like the participant experience. So I always put the the students like front and center. I'm always thinking about their experience. Like how will this make them feel? Will this be challenging enough? Will it be too hard? You know, even like how will they arrange themselves into groups? Are they going to need a rest break in this workshop? Um, I, you know, I think, I guess my experience, I do a lot of UX and customer experience design. And so um, I really think about my classes as a product and I think about the the students as as customers and that um I'm there to to serve them like a servant leadership role um to serve their experience it's not about the content and it's not about me and my objective and like you know I must make sure they've learned these basic tenants or you know it's like how can I serve them and get them where they need to be and sometimes that means improvising you know I have a class plan and I see you know maybe it's not really meshing with them well or you know they found the, the sort of beginner exercise really difficult and then we need to go in a different direction and um so yeah I really just try to focus on making that experience what they need it to be um and getting their feedback if you're teaching, I feel like, and you can tell me, tell me if I'm wrong, but if you're, if you are, if you've been consistently, if, if you've been consistently teaching, especially in like the work environment, you're probably getting a variety of workshop requests. It's not just like 
just level one, it's we need better communication or we need to get to an end result or we need to tap into this. Um, so when you're developing those curriculums, right, so what is your approach to developing all of those kind of mm. curriculums? Yeah, so so I definitely should, should clarify off the top that my most of my experience is with applied improvisation, using improv for professional and personal development. Um, and that's, that's definitely my, my passion. And so, yeah, when I'm working with businesses that they come to me with, you know, Hey, we want to do some team building or, Hey, we want to do improv. And, and what I do, which is really, I guess, part of my role as a facilitator is I interview them and, and find out more about them. And often what they come to the table with, with a request is not necessarily what they, they need. And, you know, I, I find clients don't necessarily know what it is that they need. And that's part of your role is to help educate them and inform them on what it is that you can and can't offer. Um, and being really candid, you know, if they come to you and say, oh, you know, we, we want uh, the team to be able to ship things faster, um, you know, I could say, well, that's not something that we would work on, but we can work on how we collaborate and how we communicate that could have an impact on shipping things faster, right? Um, your question was about uh, curriculum, right? So, yeah, so if someone came to you, I think there's actually some great things in there. One is, um, and that's why I was so excited to talk to you, because I think the applied improv is something that a lot of improvisers will fall into, but not necessarily have the training and skill set to do so, and then they're kind of just stumbling their way through. So, um so I think there's a few things in there. One is when a client makes a request and you're unable to fill that, fulfill that, to fill that request, um, being candid with them is absolutely important. What have you ever run into trouble though, where even with being candid, they were like, uh, this is not what we expected. This is what we want, you know, and how are you dealing with those, I guess, difficult situations? Now let's start with that. So I, I guess I've been really lucky that I haven't really had any, kind of major miscommunications um you know maybe I credit that to like the fact that I used to working like in these companies I haven't come to this as like an actor and a pure improviser and then tried to take that leap into the business world um so I feel like I, you know I have a lot of the terminology and the the skill set to make sure there's like clear expectations and alignment around what what we're doing um there's been like the occasional thing where they've so I did a course with a company and um at the end of it they were doing uh, a conference the group that I was working with was going to be hosting a conference for the whole company and they wanted to incorporate some of the things that they'd learned and I was like great you know sure this wasn't part of my contract but I was like sure I'll help support you you know I want to make sure that you um feel good about what you're doing and they came up with um, this plan of the exercises to do and uh, I gave them some pushback around it because some of the exercises they chose did not really make sense for the format of the conference. Um, but ultimately it was like, it, you know, it was their decision and, uh, you know, they invited me to come along on the day and then when they realised that what they decided to do wasn't um, the best choice for like, 
the size, the room, the like the tone of the situation. Um, they were like, Hey Rachel, can you lead this one for us? And I was like, Oh no. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I, I definitely tried to adapt it on the fly, but we're talking 200 people at a conference. So, um, that was a little stressful and I definitely got feedback from people like, I don't really understand why we did that or, um, et cetera. Uh, and that was frustrating cause I felt like, you know, had I been the person like owning and designing for that audience, you know, I feel like I would have been able to deliver more value. Um, but ultimately, you know, the, the group had really good intentions. They, uh, and they just didn't have the experience. And what I learned from that is that, I have to draw, I have to draw a line and say, actually, no, like I'm the subject matter expert on this and, um, I'll absolutely support you and I'll help you to deliver the, um, the content. But, um, ultimately like I, I can't be involved unless you take my advice um, or you take complete ownership and accountability for like what you've decided to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so those are the things that, um, you know, things like people just are like, Oh, I'll go talk to a client. Right. Well, that's a needs analysis, right? Like there's those terms that I feel a lot of people don't know. Um, yeah. and, and they're, they're designing instructions. So, um, what, so, so right. So when you are designing, um, a workshop, um, how, what is your approach? Are you, so once you have your needs analysis and you understand what it really is, the, the client's needs are and wants are, are you then taking the end goal and working back or do you kind of go forward or do you sketch it out? I mean, are you linear? Are you nonlinear? How are you designing them? Um, so yeah, there's definitely this, this consultation period and the needs analysis and going, well, okay, what is it they most need? And looking at then, well, what are the things I feel I can most strongly offer and, you know, how do those things line up? And then, um, what I'll do is kind of go through all my ideas and materials and it's really a design process. Um, you know, I guess an instructional design process, um, where you kind of put together a framework, um, then you start to say, well, you know, I, I think the most important exercise is this, this is how long that's going to take, you know, what would complement this well? Um, how do I make sure that they have the basics that they need in order to, um, participate well in this exercise? And then maybe that leads me into what they should do for a warm up that has like connection to the material. Um, it's definitely sort of a design journey, if you like. I do try to take the group uh, through a sort of cohesive journey. And I think that's that might be, you know, why it could be one of the reasons I've been successful. I don't know. Um, but I know that I have seen other, um, other improv teachers try to take essentially a bunch of random games and deliver those to a group of people. And that absolutely might be fun. Um, but ultimately the, the group kind of tends to go away like without as much impact when you build a narrative around like, you know, the, the metaphors for the, the, the games. And a lot of it is around metaphors, you know, like uh, for example, you know, I'll sometimes I'll give half the rules up front and then half the rules will come in the middle of the game and they'll go, why didn't you tell us that? And I'll say, well, you know, you work in software development. There's a lot of emergent work. Now there's a piece of emergent 
um, instructions or, you know, it's about adaptability. Can you adapt now to the fact that actually what you are doing doesn't fit in with the rules? Um, and so, you know, and if you build that narrative and you give them a chance to have discussion and feedback, um, you can really empower them to go away and go, actually, that's a really interesting subject. And now I'm going to continue to explore that with my colleagues. Um, so yeah, in the first few years, I used to create all bespoke workshops and courses, like based on the needs of the, the client. Um, and you know, it would take me a good half a day or a day to, to build the workshop. Um, and then as the years passed, I realized that I was often being asked or assessing that they needed similar things. So what I tried to do at that point was build kind of package solutions. And, and it really, they were like a strong outline. And then um, I would customize them as needed, depending on, you know, the size of the group, location, experience, um, and their needs. Um uh, and one of the things I did is I actually designed a tool um, that I use on the web that I that houses all of my um, materials and uh, so all the exercises, games, handouts. Um, it's creatively called the improv tool. <laughs> I should probably come up with a good name for it, I think. Uh, mine's called Google Docs, so that's okay. Right. And, and I had a lot of that to begin with. Um, but what I've done with this tool is designed it so that uh, I can say, you know, I've got 12 people, they're beginners. I've got 90 minutes, um, you know, uh, give me all the warm-ups that are suitable for a group that way. Um, oh my gosh. Did you build the, when, did you, did you build out all your own data and metadata and databasing and all that kind of stuff to build that tool when you, yes. uh, wow. Uh, just, I mean, this is totally, <laughs> no, it's just a total side thing because my, my, background is information science so um i mean because that's that's what i used to do <laughs> so it's just like most people don't know to tag and metadata right and all yeah. of that so that's awesome that you have built yourself a tool that you can now but you hear my search parameters and bam yeah and right? it, it includes things like um you know what what principle do i want to teach um what skill do i want to teach um, and over, like over the last few years, I've just been sort of building out, like when I'm like, Oh, there's a feature that's, you know, Oh, I'm finding I'm still doing this part manually, you know, uh, then I'll try and add that to the tool. It helps that, you know, I work with a bunch of technologists and I'm married to an engineer. So right. I'm, not, I'm not doing this completely by myself. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I know. Cause I wasn't the one who like had to build the software program around. I was the one who had to like figure out all the tagging and metadata that would go into it and then plug it into the right pieces. Yeah. It's the, it's the building the right pieces that makes my head hurt. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. And you know, like uh, I work as a product manager and so like I, I'm often having to go right, put my product manager hat on, put my customer hat on and go, well, what is it I need? What makes the most sense? What's going to be valuable and trying to kind of predict the future a little bit. And not just going, well, today I need this thing and therefore I'll build that that little tweak or feature, right? It's actually going, well, do I need that? Like what what's going to be the most valuable thing to like add on next? Um, that's just really software development. Um, but yeah, eventually I ended up designing these three courses, which I call uh, Improv Fundamentals, Improvisers Toolbox, and then the third one is called Ensemble. 
Um, and the ensemble one is about high performing teams. And so those three courses, if, if someone comes to me and they're like, you know, we really just, we know that improv has great principles and we think it would really help, um, people at work. If they want more of like a, a package thing where it's going to be, you know, a course that people can just sign up for, then that's, that's what I would offer them. And that's the one that I, um, you know, I teach at Riot, um, on a regular basis. I, I just, I have around, uh, I don't know, 50 odd graduates of, uh, those courses at this point. Um, and we have a tool internally for people to sign up, um, and they just give great feedback. So I was going to say, are these on, like, are these, when you, for these three classes, are these like you drop in once a week or they have like their like six, eight week classes that build on like you would if you were going to an improv school? Yeah, no, they are the latter. And what I started off with, um, particularly at Riot was a drop in class. And because you never knew how many people would come and whether it was going to be the same people or people who had never done it before, you know, it was very limited in terms of the scope of what you could do. Um, like I would plan to do, you know, uh, two beginner exercises in this workshop and then, uh, it would turn out it would be the same 10 people who'd been coming for the last month. And then it was like, well, this is not really going to be that interesting for them. Um, and you know, being customer centric, I would then have to come up with something on the fly and that worked okay for a while. But ultimately I found that these people wanted to be able to have some more structure and progression. And so that's why I created the courses and they're all, uh, two hours a week, six weeks. Um, yeah, so it's, they're essentially 12 hour courses. And then we have like communication in between class where, you know, I'll encourage them to see shows or, uh, you know, we'll share articles or we'll talk about things that have come up in the class and, you know, maybe give them a challenge to go away and um, sort of observe micro expressions in one-on-one conversations and things like that. So with these classes, um, are you, do you have to give, because Riot is essentially the client at the end of the, I mean, you've got, you've got like clients and then client, right? You've got like students and clients. You have like this hierarchy of who your client is. So does Riot, um, do you, are you responsible to giving Riot like any sort of like the, because a lot of times, let me back up. Let me, a lot of times if just like at an improv school or whatnot, when we talk about like metrics of passing students on and, and that kind of thing, it becomes like, well, it's subjective and it's art. And some people are there because they want to be performers, but some people are there because they want to be better speakers. And so the metrics may not be as tough or they may not even have any in place because they're not, they don't have to hand over anything. Um, but are you required to do anything to assess that and, or say to riot here is, you know, here, this why this is why you're paying for it. And this yeah, is why yeah. it works. So, um, I guess, I guess I'm lucky because I come from the approach that like, I think that it's important to, to measure and have some metrics. And so I've never been in a situation where the company has gone like, I want these specific metrics. And I've been like, Oh, I don't really know how, how I would do that. You know, um, at the same time, you know, a lot of the type of companies that I work with are more on the sort of startups and tech and, um, a lot of them are what, what they call data informed versus data driven. And so, um, I think sort of maybe the more hierarchical and, uh, more traditional companies are maybe a bit more data driven, like 
you know, the, the data says this, therefore this is the decision. Whereas, you know, somewhere like Riot is much more data informed and they all say, uh, you know, we should take this into account. But if people feel good about it and feel that they're, they're getting benefit from it, then that's that's also a good that's a good sign. Um, I think you asked me about metrics in here. I'm just- they, if they're good with if they're good with this is how people are you know walking out of there feeling like they've gained some self confidence or they're having some good time or it's helping them work under stress. Um, in order to do that, are you gathering st- student information via evaluations at the end of class and things like that? So yeah, at the start of every course, the participants are asked to set specific and measurable goals for themselves. So again, it's, it's, it's customer centric. And to me, the customers, the customer is them, not the company. Um, you know, they're accountable for between the company and, and the students for making sure that they're aligned around why I'm there and why they're doing it. And, and I'm accountable to them, to giving them the experience that they need. Um, you know, but a lot of the companies, it's like the, the students are, um, you know, their, their careers are self-driven and self-managed. You know, it's not like they have a manager saying, you need to be better at this. You know, most of them are very high-functioning, intelligent people who have already identified the things that they want to do and want to be better at. They're very motivated. So and I find that people come to the courses for different reasons. Um, and so it's much better to have them kind of dictate their own goals because they're more likely to stick to them and be motivated towards them. Um, I offer them, so they go through these goals. We share them in the group. They find a buddy in the group to, uh, help them like monitor their progress. Um, you know, I make a kind of mental note of, right, you know, this, this person needs to kind of lean in more, speak up more. Like that's, that's what they decided that they need. And so if I find that we're having like a feedback session or something like that, and they're not saying anything, I'll be like, you know, Hey, uh, Bob, what, what do you think about that? And like, just give, just give coaching and prompts to make sure that, um, and I just, sometimes it's a bit difficult to juggle all the different things that people are trying to do. And that's why I have them have buddies and help them be accountable. Um, and I provide them with like one-on-one time to give feedback, um, help them identify growth areas, like particularly sort of partway through the course, uh, they get a self-assessment at the beginning and the same one at the end. So they see what, what progress that they've made. Um, and I interview them at the end to say like, what was your experience? Like, why was it helpful? And I really grill them into, um, saying beyond, Oh, it was so much fun, which is awesome. And I love that they had fun, but I want to know, like, did it bring you benefit? Like, what did you do differently as a result of participating in this? Um, and that gives me great feedback that helps me refine the course, you know, and as I've delivered these courses, I've been able to, you know, really like iterate on them. You know, I was going to say, that's a great way for you also to have self-reflection and evaluation on what you're doing. And then like you just said, tweak as you go along and thus continue your own growth and experience as a facilitator, the teacher, trainer, yeah. all of those hats. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. like, you know, the first time I did the fundamentals, um, the, the toolbox, which is the second course is only open to graduates of fundamentals. Um, you know, and what was great is at the end of fundamentals, you know, we had what I call a sharing circle where everybody, um, we focus on each person and people say what they, what they really appreciated about that person and where they think that person could improve and, and focus in future. Um, 
and you know and that included me in in the circle obviously and so then I got you know various pieces of feedback that were just so valuable and I was able to immediately implement them in the second course with that same group of people and go it's like when you said you know you wanted more critical feedback like uh was this the kind of thing you were looking for and so we have very very uh small feedback loops I guess um, and that's one of the things that I appreciate so much about being able to work, um, you know, with one company consistently is that, um, I think I can grow and offer much more value more quickly than, um, maybe someone who has to, you know, keep starting afresh with all these different clients. Um, so I'm, I feel very blessed in that regard. So it's wonderful that you get to really hone and, and, and just do this, um, I want to come take a class over there. Maybe you'd like to come and uh, uh, have a guest session with me. I would love to have a guest session. And then I can sit down and play League of Legends all day. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're always, uh, we always want to connect with our, uh, our, our players. I'm a terrible player, FYI, but I love it. So. Oh, me too. <laughs> so bad. Are you continually taking classes yourself outside? of this to do things or are you what what do you like to do to keep honing your own skills as a, as a as an improv teacher so uh i definitely i i watch some improv i occasionally take you know sort of one-off workshops that i see that look interesting to me um i read a lot about improv in fact i just i just finished uh this book here i don't know if you can see that Yes. I actually just talked to Pam. Oh, cool. so. Excellent. Yeah. This was, I really, really enjoyed this book. And what was really cool for me was, um, that, uh, the, the approach that TJ and Dave have is like a really, uh, aligns with my philosophy about, um, authenticity, like, cause because of the type of improv that I'm teaching is about being authentic and growing yourself as a person so that you can apply that to your personal and professional. I think this is a lot, this material is a lot more relatable for, for my kind of work versus a lot more of the sort of comedy and comedy sports and short form um, uh, type of stuff, which ha- definitely has its uses and has its place as well. Um, right. I think it comes down to what does the person want out of it, right? So when people take classes with me, if they're looking to just really always be funny all the time, I'm not going to be the right theater yeah. for them. That's because it's just not, that's not our focus. We're not, we're, that's why I specifically named it a theater company and not a comedy yeah. club. Um, right. So it's just, to me, it comes down to what is it, again, like what is our customer yeah. want? Um, and then being honest and upfront saying you're not going to like yeah. it here if you take a class. Yeah. And it, it can be difficult, you know, it's particularly when you're self-employed, you know, it can be, um, you know, I've worked as a consultant before and it can be hard to, um, turn people down, but ultimately, you know, your reputation and your credibility is going to be, um, based on the fact that you were like, this is what I do. This is what I'm really good at. And like, if you need something different, then I'm, you know, I'm not going to be the right person for you. And like, I think people really appreciate that. Um, you know, you become known for that. So I think that, you know, it's a big part of having integrity. Right. Because you're in sort of this different situation. Um, but you, you know, the, the whole like difficult student or the, you know, there's how would, I guess, how do you, have you, I mean, you might've actually had 
this happened with you, and I'm just making assumptions that everybody you work with is nice and lovey. I mean, for you, what do you deem as difficult in your classrooms? Also, how do you also handle, um, because you're doing a lot of corporate work, there's already the, you know, um, when it comes to diversity, that's already kind of there as a, as a corporate level. So what is, how does that play into when you're teaching or facilitating? Um, so to me, I guess a difficult student is, is someone who's not engaging with the material. Um, okay. you know, I'm lucky I, I haven't really had experiences with people being, you know, pretty crazy, terrible behavior. Um, the, the most difficult student is just someone who doesn't engage with the material. And, um, and then the challenge for me is really like to understand, well, what are their needs and what are their expectations? Um, you know, I, I've had somebody in one of my courses who, um, she, you know, she just didn't seem happy and, you know, occasionally there would be sort of eye rolling, um, and you know, that didn't feel good, like for me, for her, obviously for her and for the rest of the group. And, you know, so, you know, I would continually like have conversations. I would actually focus in more on her, um, and just say like, you know, what is it that you're looking for? Like, what do you feel you're not getting? Like, what would, what would good look like if this was a great class for you? What would that look like? You know? Um, and, and sometimes it's just a case of, mismatched expectations and even when I've done you know all my due diligence and I've you know presented the you know information up front I've had the conversations with people um uh, sometimes that that expectation still isn't right um occasionally there are people that sign up and then like don't attend regularly but again that's expectation setting you know I tell them um that if you need to, for, um, you know, personal reasons, miss one session in the six weeks, that that's fine. Um, but particularly when they're, you know, in a corporate environment, sometimes, you know, a work thing will come up. Um, and I encourage them to speak to their colleagues and their manager and their team and just say, you know, this, you know, I, one of my personal growth areas is, um, being better at, um, public speaking and presentations. And so I've decided to take this course. It's really important to me. It's two hours a week. I'm going to focus on that unless, you know, the building's burning down. I, I really do want to be able to attend that. And so can, can you help me like make accommodations and so that I can do that. Um, so, and you know, I really, I guess I tried to encourage them like to use their negotiation skills, um, really like as a kind of almost as a warm up to doing the course. Um, yeah. And I give them, I give them the why I don't just say, you know, it's really important to, uh, to attend every week. I say, you know, what we're doing here is growing together as a team and the group needs your support and they need to be able to trust you. And if you don't come for three weeks, you know, on that fourth week, you're, you're going to get up on the stage and you're not going to have the relationship and the trust foundation that everybody else in the group has. And that's going to make it difficult for you, but also difficult for them, you know. So I guess I try to spin it in, the, in a way that helps them see that, you know, it's important to, for them to, to respect and take care of the rest of the group. Um, I love all of this stuff. So I'm just like, Ooh, ah, ah. <sighs> yeah. Cause some of them I'm like, mm, I don't know that even, I love this conversation. I, I want to touch on AIN for a moment, but do you have to, do you have to bring up topics of diversity in your classrooms or is that something because again, you're already sort of in this 
environment, those rules and regulations are already in place when they onboard as a for whatever position they're in. Yeah. So um, yeah, the companies that I work with in in general tend to be like you know way more conscious of that than than maybe a lot of other uh, organisations and companies. Um, I, I know at Riot we have. Um, you know, we have a, a great uh, lady who leads the diversity efforts um, and um, we have a community of practice around diversity and we're just always talking, um, you know, candidly and caringly about uh, the different issues that come up with that. So I know that that is there as a foundation, but in terms of what, what do I do on a more personal level, um, at the start of every course with every group of people, uh, we do a working agreement. So I'll ask them like, you know, uh, we're going to be working together for the next six weeks or eight weeks. Um, it's going to be important for us to have um, mutual expectations of each other so what are the kind of things that will make it safe for you to participate in this environment um, and we usually end up with things like you know make sure that you listen um, ask questions when you don't understand um, ask people before making physical contact with them um, if you don't feel comfortable or safe in the moment um, tell tell someone um, all, all sorts of things like that. Um, respect differences, uh, uh, show up on time, you know, uh, don't use my phone in the class, things like that. And they come up with them. So I don't, I don't stand and go, here are the rules of this class. I go, well, what do you think is important for us to make this a really successful experience? And, and they, they come up with it. And then what's great about that is, if someone is not really doing that, you can kind of go, well, so, you know, when we came up with the working agreement and like, this is something that you felt was important and I get every single person to either sign it or to, um, to physically go and say, yes, I agree to this working agreement. Um, and, and so, yeah, then you've got something to point to and go, you know, this is something that you felt was important and therefore, uh, I need to understand why you no longer feel that that's important or I love just getting them involved in that. Yeah. They're, they're adults. So they need, you know, there's not, it's not children that we're working with and setting ground rules. So they need to be doing that. Let's talk about AIN a little bit. Uh, because you said you were working on which committee was it? I was like, Oh, that sounds really cool for the conference that you guys are having. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I joined, um, the, so AIN is the applied improvisation network. Um, and I joined in maybe, I guess 2006 ish. Um, I honestly don't remember because there's not really a formal joining process per se. It's just like you go along. Right. And that at the point when I heard about it, I was like, that's cool. I'm really interested in that. I'll go along. And I went along to a workshop, um, that was being hosted, um, uh, by the local AIN group. So chapter or however you'd like to call it in uh, Brighton in the UK. And, um, I met all these people and they had a similar, uh, view on how improv was this valuable philosophy and mindset, um, and that was great because previously, you know, I've been taking classes and doing workshops and things and a lot of people it, like their ultimate goal was about performance and that made them sometimes behave in a different 
um, way. Like I was, I guess I was there for like to understand it, the theory and the philosophy and talk deeply about the experiences and, um, other people were like, Oh, just, you know, I really want to do more shows and let's do, you know, more rehearsals and, and this, that, and the other. And, um, and that's cool. I respect it. It just wasn't, I wasn't getting as much out of it as I wanted. So anyway, so I went along to this, this meeting. Um, we did all these, these cool exercises that were much less about, um, performance and much more about the sort of creativity and collaboration and the experience together. Um, and, and, you know, from then on, I was like, oh, this is obviously something I want to be involved with. And um, so I'm a member of the, the Southern California AIN chapter. And uh, the uh, organization hosts a global conference each year where people get together, um, members of AIN and guests get together and um, share learnings and share experiences. So we have talks, workshops. Um, we have like an open space where people come up with um, things that they'd like to do inspired by things that they've already seen. Um, and that's usually sort of two or three days. And we have learning journeys uh, prior to the conference um, where maybe we'll arrange for um, the uh, people to go to a specific company and hear about like how they use um, creativity or uh, things like that. And so uh, the, they tried to do like uh, America, North America and then Europe sort of alternately. And they, um, they just had one in Oxford in England in uh, August this year. And so they were looking for, which, you know, which group would we, would be able to put together a conference for, for 2017. And so SoCal were like, okay, yeah, let's do this. Um, and, uh, we've been very lucky to get the university of Irvine, the arts campus there. Um, my, um, one of my friends and colleagues, Joel, he's, uh, he works at the university there and, um, he's been able to arrange that. So yeah, it'll be August, 2017 will be this, this great, uh, conference. And I, yeah, I'll definitely encourage people who are interested in, in the sort of personal and professional aspects of improvisation to, to come along and participate and make connections. Which is a great bridge to people who are looking to get into this. What kind of advice, um, besides obviously the networking and, and continuous learning, would you give to them as they, as they put their toe in the water of all of this? So I've taken instructional design courses and I've taken facilitation courses. Um, and I feel like those two things have benefited me massively. It's the combination of those two things plus that knowledge and experience of, of improvisation. Um, you know, and conversely, I use a lot of applied improv in my facilitation work as well. Even when, you know, I've not been asked to, to necessarily do applied improv, there'll be elements of it that are just too valuable to not include. Um, so things that I would encourage uh, people to do. So, yeah, to be a coach or a teacher, you don't need to just know a bunch of games. That's really like the super step one <laughs> in like 50 steps or something. Um, <laughs> um, it's awesome. Like it's good to have a lot of games and have them in your repertoire and be able to clearly, you know, articulate these are the rules, this is how you play um, and, and set that up. But you, you need presence. Um, you need the ability to influence and lead incredible listening skills, sensitivity, flexibility 
Um, you need to be able to pivot gracefully <laughs> when things don't go as expected, you know. <laughs> Explain what we we're going to do. And then the group's like, what are we going to do? And you go, okay, so what we'll do is, and then you start, you know, you essentially deconstruct the game and work on a piece of the game or a piece of the exercise. Um, and you, you just need to, you know, you need to be able to do that with charm and wit because that's really, you know, part of being, uh, providing a great customer experience, I think, is to be happy to do that, happy to adapt. Um, you need to be able to give and receive effective feedback. Um, I could talk for days about how to give and receive feedback. It's a big part of, of Riot's culture. Um, I'm actually writing a blog on that now, so maybe I'll just share that with you instead. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, like the whole... You know, sometimes people come up and they'll give you feedback, you know, and your brain is like, what, what are they talking about? That's, I didn't do that. Or, you know, like there is that, that default sometimes. And I just think it's really important to go, whatever it is, whether they're completely right or completely wrong or somewhere in the middle, um, ultimately it was their experience, their experience of what you did. And therefore they are a hundred percent right about that because that was their experience. And, and it's important for you to not question that and challenge that because there's nothing there for you to question or challenge. It's simply their experience. Um, and to be able to just ask great questions, um, and facilitate uh, a conversation that makes you both go away feeling good. Um, and maybe you can address some of the feedback um, more in, in practice, and maybe you can't, uh, and being clear about that and saying, like, actually, that's not something I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know where to start in, in addressing that. And maybe you have ideas, and maybe you can help me. Like, pull them in. Make them your partner, um, you know, particularly if it's, it's very uh, – challenging feedback um that's going to help build the relationship as well um so yeah the other things for for being a great teacher is check out the instructional design um facilitation is is great training for this uh, i actually just did a um a facilitation course that um definitely leveled me up regardless of what kind of improv teacher or coach you're going to be um giving feedback is an art um, and even when you read it, you still have to put it into motion, but also the receiving feedback as a teacher or coach is also really important. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I can't imagine working in that way because, you know, your group is, your group is your unique group and they gonna, they're going to have a unique experience. So just teaching them something, you know, out of a book or, I mean, they may as well do an online course if it's set in stone, you know, um, the purpose of, to me, of having a facilitator or having a coach there is that um, they're going to be adaptable to the the needs in the moment, um, like looking for new ways to do things, experimenting, keeping it fresh. Um, I teach um, a, like a playful facilitation course in LA um, because I, I found it so valuable. Um, so that's like an introduction to how you can be more playful in facilitation. Um, any last thoughts noticing you know the art of noticing is a big thing mindfully observing um how people are reacting and if you and if you can see small things and, and just surface them and go oh hey you know i noticed when so-and-so did um this particular accent you know i, I saw you kind of your your face um 
you were sort of cringing a bit and like, well, tell, tell me more about that. Like, why was that? And they might be like, oh no, I just had something in my eye or, <laughs> right? or they might be like, yeah, actually that made me feel really uncomfortable. Like, I don't feel we should do accents for, um, people in these particular countries or these socioeconomic backgrounds or, um, and then it's something that we can all kind of align around, I guess, because there really aren't rules about these things. You know, that's why diversity is, I think, a big challenge because we are diverse and we have these different backgrounds and experience. What's cool is, you know, what, what is offensive to me might be absolutely fine to you. And, um, I think you just, you, you learn that as you get exposed to more and more things. I mean, I live in a, you know, lived on a couple of continents and in different cultures and backgrounds and I live in a big city now. And, you know, where the company that I work with is from people all around the world of different ages and, and backgrounds and genders and, um, sexualities. And so it's like, as long as you're open to hearing other people's experiences and you facilitate other people like coach other people around that uh that's really like I think all you can do because there is no this is okay and this is not okay you define those for yourself in the group in the culture that you're within you know I'm sure there are plenty of things at riot that are like this is okay and this is not okay um that like we would majority agree upon um, and then there are tons of gray areas too. <laughs> I think that's, um, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's constantly having the conversation is what it is. Yeah. You constantly yeah. have to be communicating, which is the heart of improv. And then, you know, improv leads into the improv leads into the conversations. That's what's great about it. You know, it, it acts as a thing to bring surface these questions and, bring people together around them in a way that feels safe and playful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any last uh, thoughts or anything? Uh, so the thing I wrote here was that I'm working on, on a book about playful leadership. Great. Um, and I, I want to interview uh, people in leadership roles in, in businesses about their uh, attitude to, towards play and also for, uh, I, I guess, the facilitation, you know, obviously, like, I'm really, really passionate about sharing the value of facilitation. I actually think that facilitation is kind of like the new leadership. I think everyone can be a leader. That's awesome. And I think that everyone can be a facilitator. And I think that that is one of the things I feel will make the world a better place, which we kind of need right now, particularly this week. Um, so you can find me at agileimprov.com. And you can uh, follow my blog through there. We'll take you through to, to Medium, where I host a publication called All Things Improv. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you.